Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, episode 86, recorded Monday, June 6th, 2022. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hello again, everyone, and a great big thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Centropino. And that big thank you comes on the heels of a record number of listens for Scuba Shack Radio in May of 2022. In fact, the past two months, it seems that I've almost doubled the numbers of listens to the podcast. Well, I'm greatly appreciative for all of the support of the show as I make my way to the next milestone. Today is also another milestone. My book, Your Next Dive, My Adventures in Scuba Diving, was released in ebook format. The paperback version is set for release on July 18. You can order the ebook today or pre order the paperback version at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Book Baby, and a number of other retail outlets. Now, I've done a couple of videos on the book, and you can check them out on my YouTube channel. That's Jeff Centropino. Well, there's a lot to get to today. I'm going to go back in history a bit and talk about the British Sub-Aqua Club Diving Manual from 1976. Things have certainly evolved since way back then. But first up is Wet Notes for some news and information updates. This is Wet Notes here on Scuba Shack Radio for June the 6th, 2022. First up today, I want to congratulate Leslie Lerney on receiving the 2022 California Scuba Service Award. Now, there was an article in the Santa Barbara News Press by Marilyn McMahon that talked about the award and Leslie's prolific diving career. Leslie started his diving career in 1969, and he moved to Malibu in 1980. He is the founder of the Santa Barbara Maritime Museum, co-founder of the Historical Diving Society USA, and the founder of the Journal of Diving History. He's still the editor of that magazine today. The honor is for turning his passion for diving's history into a way for thousands to understand and discover theirs. The California Scuba Service Award is presented annually by the Awards Committee of the Scuba Show. The first award came in 1989. It honors those who have had a profound influence on the California diving scene. Congratulations, Leslie. There's a new bill making its way through Congress. House Resolution 7431, which is titled the Don Young Veterans Advancing Conservation Act, or VACA. And if it's passed, it will be a National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, grant program, providing funding to nonprofit groups who hire, retrain, and redeploy veterans to conduct coastal, Great Lakes, and underwater conservation missions. 
Now, the resolution was introduced by Representative Darren Soto from Florida and has 16 bipartisan co-sponsors. The findings in the bill state that scuba diving has been found to improve mental, physical, and emotional health and has been specifically linked to improvements in PTSD. If it passes, the bill would provide $1 million in grants this year and then increase by $0.2 million each year through 2026. The article that I read stated that it takes about $1.5 million to train just one special operations service member, and when they separate from the service, that investment is gone. So the $1 million in this grant program is not that much in comparison. In case you're wondering, the bill is named for Don Young, the Alaskan congressman who died in 2022 and was very much an advocate of conservation measures. The second quarter Alert Diver magazine from Divers Alert Network showed up last week in my mailbox, and that always makes me a happy camper. I really love getting the physical version of the magazine. So I will definitely be going with the enhanced membership when I renew in about a month or so. As normal, this edition is filled with great articles and features. Now, one article that may cause a lot of stir around the dive community is the one on the placement of an octopus alternate second stage regulator. Now, ever since I started diving, the octo has been placed on the right side of the regulator along with the primary second stage. Well, Dan is advocating for placement on the left side. They make a compelling argument for this configuration. I've personally seen some of the struggles students have when donating their octo and getting it twisted or upside down. Now, Dan is at indicating that if placed on the left side, it will make it a little easier to donate. Now, we're going to do some tests here at the shop before we make any changes. But I get a little concerned that if we switch over, will it cause longer-term issues when new divers rank gear from another operation with the octo on the right side? I'm sure we'll get a lot of feedback on this recommendation coming down. Now, there's a new recall notice out from Aqualung on their i330R dive computer. It is for all computers made and sold in 2021 and 2022. The reason for the recall is because the computer does not automatically adjust its pressure levels when diving at 3,000 feet or higher. The good news is that this, is, this fix is a firmware upgrade. Now, owners can update their computer using their DiveLog Plus application, or they can bring it to an authorized dealer from which it was purchased for the upgrade. The new firmware should read R1.004 or higher. Now, if you go to the Aqualung website, you can look at all the serial numbers affected, get more uh, details about the issue, and obtain instructions for updating the computer. There's also a QR code that you can scan and get additional information. Well, here's some big news from Shearwater Research this week, and it's regarding their top-of-the-line Perdix dive computer. They are releasing a new version of the Perdix. It will be the Perdix 2 and comes in two different versions, the TI or TI Black. This upgrade includes a titanium bezel, either in the normal silver, that's the TI version, 
or with a black powder coating. That's the TI Black. Other upgraded features include an aluminosilicate toughened glass lens, and that's to improve clarity and protection, along with titanium piezo touch buttons. And those buttons have user-adjusted sensitivity to them. And if that isn't enough, the Perdix 2s will incorporate vibration alarms. This new model will also monitor up to four Perdix AI transmitters. This is another winner from Shearwater. We put a bunch on order and hope to have them by mid-July. They just seem to disappear really fast. And finally, some more good news on the pandemic recovery front. We received a message from Atlantis Philippines last week informing us that the Philippine government has announced that it will no longer require a PCR or antigen COVID-19 tests for fully vaccinated and boosted tourists who enter the country, and that started May 30th, 2022. Now, all types of vaccination certificates are accepted, regardless of the country of origin. The Philippines was the first Southeast Asian country to open up to tourists back in February, and they've seen over half a million visitors since then. The U.S., South Korea, and Canada lead the way for tourists, and that's followed up by the U.K., Australia, and Japan. COVID-19 travel insurance is not required for entry, but they highly recommend having that coverage. So, if you're heading out to the Philippines soon, you won't need to get tested before you leave. But remember, the U.S. is still requiring tests before coming back. At least for right now. Well, that's it for this installment of Wet Notes here on Scuba Shack Radio. Last week, I purchased my professional liability insurance as a scuba instructor. Now, when you apply for the insurance, you're asked for your training agency affiliation. I was presented with a drop-down list of agencies for my selection. Wow, it was a very long list, and I needed to scroll pretty far down to select my training agency, Patty. I guess I knew there were a lot of agencies training scuba divers, but I was still surprised by the number and started to think a little bit more about why are there so many. Also, on a recent episode of the Dive Locker podcast, Tech Clark did a piece he titled Agency Bashing. You know, when we talk about the issues with the various training agencies and not always in a positive light. I started to wonder what it was like before all of these agencies sprung onto the scene and how it might have been in the good old days. So I turned again to our bookshelf here at the shop and pulled down the British Sub-Aqua Club Diving Manual from 1976 and thought I'd talk a little bit more about what they were doing 46 years ago with respect to scuba diving training. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about BSAC as they're known, there's just so much history out there. You can go out on the internet and Google it and find out. They have been recognized as the governing body for recreational diving in the UK since 1954. And their first edition of the BSAC Diving Manual 
was published in 1959. So what is this manual all about? Well, the subtitle describes its purpose succinctly. It says it's the comprehensive guide to the techniques of swimming underwater. The manual has 10 chapters covering training, the psychology of diving, physics, medical, equipment, techniques, open water, underwater activities, and it wraps up with public relations and endorsements. There are also 19 appendices with detailed material, so it's a pretty comprehensive diving manual. For today, I want to focus on the training aspects covered in the BSAC Diving Manual from 1976. The section under training organization is focused on the instructor and not the pupil. It discusses the purpose of the various aspects of training, the materials the instructor would need, typical routines, instructional techniques, and training considerations. They talk about the three P's for the instructor, planning, preparation, and presentation. These three items uh, resonate very much with me. If you don't plan and prepare for a class, you're really putting yourself behind the eight ball. Now, one of the things that I found very interesting was how they approached their levels of training. All of the would-be scuba divers would first join the club, and they would need to become a snorkel diver. Then they could progress up the chain to third-class diver, second-class diver, and first-class diver. From there, it was on to becoming an instructor. They had very specific requirements for their club members to move up the ranks, So let's take a look a little bit at some of those requirements back in 1976. A snorkel diver needed to complete a series of swim tests, and there was a lot involved here. The first set of swim tests, or Group A as they were called, included a 200-yard freestyle swim, no backstroke, a 100-yard backstroke swim, a 50-yard swim with a 10-pound weight belt, floating on your back for five minutes, treading water with your hands above your head for one minute, and here's a big one. Recover six objects from the deep end of the training pool, one dive uh, per object. Now that's a lot. There are two more group swim tests in the pool that, uh, that get more and more rigorous. Now once the pupil finished the three levels of the swim test in the pool, the branch diving officer, at their discretion, could allow them to start training in the pool on scuba. So with all this pool swimming and snorkeling training completed and approved by the branch diving officer, the individual still needed to complete their academic training, or as we like to call it, knowledge development, before they could hit the pool on scuba. Now there were two groups of tests in this uh, third-class diver, Group B had eight tests, including throwing all of your equipment in the deep end of the pool and putting it on. And then they had some pretty straightforward things like remove and replace the regulator, remove and replace your mask, and demonstrate buoyancy control. Interestingly, in Group F tests, the pupil still needed to do the snorkel regulator exchange, and that's where they did the sharing of the regulator with a companion. Now, my opinion is that the pool had a lot less skills than our current open water course. And the open water test for third-class diver didn't have a lot of skills. 
They just had five dives that they had to do. The next step to second-class diver is where it gets a little more complicated, and that required that the diver complete an additional 20 dives under the supervision of the branch diving officer or a diving marshal. There were lectures, but there were no more quote-unquote tests. They were to demonstrate competency in a number of different areas. The manual indicated that experience is shown that it requires numerous dives under varying conditions for divers to become thoroughly at home in the water. Additionally, as the diver continued with the club and moved up the ranks, they were taking on more responsibility for new club members. Obviously, this model worked really well in the UK. BSAC might not be as large as it once was, but it certainly had to keep up with the changes in the scuba industry. It's still a club, and you can read all about it and about their club life and how they approach training today. Now, I've been doing a lot of thinking over the past year about our scuba industry, how we train, and more importantly, why people want to take up scuba diving. Some are motivated to really become divers, while others just want to be able to dive, whether it be for that specific vacation or when they happen to go to some place warm that offers scuba diving. There are many who never dive again after their open water certification, and that's a little perplexing to me. But having taken a closer look at how BSAC was approaching training back in 1976, I got to think that their model was more to make divers and not just train individuals who really didn't want to take up the sport. I'm going to give that a little more thought and expand out a bit down the road. But I've found the 1976 ninth edition of the British Sub-Aqua Club Diving Manual to be really interesting, and it's a great look back at our scuba diving history. If you ever have the chance to get your hands on some of those old scuba diving manuals from the 70s or 80s, or some of the old equipment catalogs, you can have some fun seeing how they were doing things back then and what they were using. One thing's for sure, we continue to move forward. Once again, I want to thank you for listening, and if you have the chance, please check out my new book, Your Next Dive, My Adventures in Scuba Diving by Jeff Cintrapino. Until next time, please take care, everyone. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.